Welcome to Ag Vic Talk, keeping you up to date with information from Agriculture Victoria. The fire on the ground was burning across my hands and my face and I was reasonably severely burnt. Both hands, uh, front and back of my hands, the palms of my hands of course were on the ground in the burning fire and the fire went over the backs of my hands and burnt that quite severely as well and by this stage I'd exposed both sides of my face to the fire so it also was reasonably badly affected. This is the horrendous story of Ian Hastings, a farmer who has always placed safety at the top of his list of priorities. So much so, he even spent years helping run safety expos for schools on his property. G'day, I'm Drew Radford, and Ian Hastings joins us for this important AgVic Talk podcast on harvest safety, to not only tell his story, but crucially to also share what he's learned so others can avoid the same. Hello, Ian. Yes, hello, Drew. Um, Happy to be here. Ian, before we get to the details of what happened on that day, tell us about your property. Where is it and what do you farm? Okay, we farm in the Victorian Mallee, southwest of um, Ogan, and we are dryland croppers. We grow all of the normal things depending on uh, early season rainfall, sometimes takes some grains out of the mix and obviously also world prices so at the moment we're growing wheat barley lupins and some veg for hay it's a reasonable mix Ian. over what sort of space are you growing those crops we're currently cropping about uh, 4,400 hectares Ian, that's a fair bit of cropping i get the impression that you are a reasonably safety focused bloke because we're going to talk about the accident that happened to you in 2019 with a with a fire which was horrible but you're a safety focused guy because i understand you actually already had a firefighting rig on your chaser bin and i don't reckon that'd be that common well, Drew, yes, no, it's not very common, and we do have it. But look, I need to go back a step. I was quite involved in the local VFF branch, and my wife and I and some neighbours actually set up and ran a farm safety expo, and we had at one stage 15 schools sending their students to that, and we did it for 12 years. So we had a, a safety outlook, I suppose you could say, about 18, 19 years ago was our first one. And we've tried to be safety conscious ever since. And yes, the fire that occurred two years ago on our property was really the first time we've put our thoughts and our skills to the test. Ian, that's a really strong focus on safety and something to be proud of. And I imagine few could even match it. And you also live and breathe that as well, because as I understand on the day of the fire during harvest, you had a firefighting unit with you in the field. What went wrong? Yeah, okay. Well, look, just running through the scenario of that day, we had two harvesters in the paddock, two headers, and when one of those headers turned, there was a reasonable but gentle breeze, and it must have blown some smouldering straw off when he turned, and the wind direction then was in the opposite direction. That started the fire. My header was heading towards where the fire had started, so I saw it. The other header was going away and didn't see it. And initially, I yelled, fire, 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 and on the UHF radio, and... Um, the chaser bin at that point was about a kilometre and a half away, maybe even two kilometres away at the other end of the paddock, emptying into the field bin or the truck. And so I asked him to travel back to where I was as fast as he possibly could and on the way to start the Honda motor, which was the driving force for the um, the firefighting unit. 
and so Ian, that's attached to the chaser bin. So the chaser bin turns up, and then it's a case of running out the hose and fighting the fire, is it? Yes. Well, I, again, sorry, Drew, I'll go back a step. We set this up, we put a 1,200-litre plastic tank on the front of our chaser bin, mounted it up there, and then we set up a Honda firefighting unit with a hose on the side of the chaser bin in front of one of the wheels. So that um, the point was that the chaser bin is always manned in the paddock, whereas if you have a, a trailer or even a, a ute with a firefighting unit in the back of it, somebody has to take time to get to that unit, whereas my thoughts always were that the chaser bin always has somebody sitting in the seat and the motor's running and that's going to be the quickest way to get water to a fire. So that was always what was behind it. And um, so he then came as fast as he could and by the time he got there I had been going across and back with my header in front of the fire with the header right on the ground trying to lower the fuel load drop that as low to the ground as I possibly could and at the time the fire was only uh, very benign is the only way to say it it was only traveling quite slowly and it was only 30 to 40 centimeters high and and it was quite a benign fire so I had time to go across and back 12 cuts across and back in front of the fire before the chaser bin got there so you know, it really wasn't anything at that point to be too concerned about. So he turns up with the chaser bin. You've really lopped it down as low as you can go. What do you do? You run over and, and grab the fire hose and, and go to work, do you? Yeah, well, I, when he was getting close, I took my header and parked it up behind the fire, in other words, where the fire had been, and then ran down to where he was and met him and sort of told him where I wanted him to stop and everything and I unrolled the hose and headed over to the fire with the hose and as a lot of people now know when I got there I hadn't realised that the Honda motor had not been revved up it was only just idling so when I just turned the nozzle on the fire hose on to screw at the fire it was um, about a little boy's stream so that's when I ran back by the way, I'm, I was 71 years old at the time, so running was not as fast as it used to be, but I ran back to the chaser bin to rev the motor up. What happened, Ian? It doesn't sound like you were far away from the pump on the chaser bin. No, no, no. It was only the length of the hose. So I, I think from memory it's about a 12-metre hose. So I was only 12 to 15 metres away from the chaser bin, and I ran, well, I suppose it, the speed that I ran was probably dependent upon how urgently I saw the need. And as I say, it was really only a little benign flame at the time so I, I ran but I probably didn't run as fast as maybe I could have. We've done some reenactment sort of work and it turns out that it was only about four seconds from when I turned out at the fire front to get back there and, and my intention was to just hit the throttle lever on the Honda motor and I'm very very familiar with Honda motors I knew exactly where to go. The moment I got to the motor I flicked the throttle lever and then as I turned around to head back to the fire that's when the fire hit me. Ian, the fire hit you, but you were saying it was pretty benign. So what, what changed? <laughs> well, I, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. As I said, I'm, I was plus of 70 at the time. I've been farming most of my life, and lots of times in the past we used to burn paddocks. We knew what fire could do. We were very familiar with fire. So what happened this time was absolutely and totally out of, out of anything that I expected. As I turned my head around, the fire came through me about two metres high uh, before I even got to facing back the way I had come. In other words, I was only a quarter of the way through my turn when I noticed the flames going over the wheels of the tractor on the front of the chaser bin. 
so I mean to, to just replay that incident, I turned my face into the fire, I immediately then turned away, I turned 180 degrees and in doing so lost my balance and fell over and I fell down into the fire and the fire on the ground was burning across my hands and my face and I was reasonably severely burnt. Both hands, uh, front and back of my hands, the palms of my hands of course were on the ground in the burning fire and the fire went over the backs of my hands and burnt that quite severely as well and by this stage I'd exposed both sides of my face to the fire so it also was reasonably badly affected and even though I had long sleeve cotton shirt and trousers on where I fell onto the ground on my knees the fire was obviously very hot and it burnt my knees through the trousers without even scorching the trousers and the same thing on my elbows, I fell to my elbows as well and again they were totally covered by the cotton drill shirt but my elbows got reasonably badly burnt through the cotton and, and again no mark on the cotton whatsoever. And the, the injuries just sound absolutely horrendous and literally in the blink of an eye that occurred, you're a well prepared person and it jumped from 45 centimetres to 2 metres and you received those horrendous burns in the blink of an eye. What happened from there? I assume you rushed to hospital. <laughs> well, um, the first thing was that the flame and, of course, the smoke that went with that flame was quite intense. It didn't last very long, of course, but the driver in the chase of tractor, um, I was at this stage lying or crouching on the ground right in front of the big wheel on the chaser bin and the chaser bin was half full of grain. So I am so thankful that his an initial immediate reaction to drop the clutch on the tractor and get out of the road didn't happen because had he done that, he would have run over me. I was in the smoke and dust. He couldn't see me. He's told me since. And um, I don't know why he didn't drop the clutch and, and get the tractor and chaser bin out of the fire, but he didn't. And that's the reason I'm still alive, to be honest. Then... When I did get out of the road, I onto the burnt area, I waved him away and we he drove over the hose because I'd left it laying on the ground and so we fixed the hose and then I went, um, walked up to my header and uh, rang my wife because it's about 30 kilometres or a bit more from Oyen where we were on a back road and I just couldn't comprehend trying to explain that to a triple O operator in Melbourne and get the message back so I thought... My quickest way to get to care and attention was to bring my wife. I knew exactly where to come. And then I sat in my header and what water I had with me, I poured over my burns until she arrived and we headed back. And then my daughter-in-law's house was halfway back towards Ogan and she met us at the road with a bucket of iced water, which I was able to continue pouring over my, my hands and knees and elbows and things. <laughs> and... Um, into hospital in Ogan, so it was probably about an hour, I guess, from, from when I was burnt until when I made it into the hospital. Ian, you're remarkably pragmatic in the description, but you didn't stop at Ogan. You, you ended up in Melbourne, I understand, and a number of skin grafts later. Yes. So in, in Ogan, they assessed and, and cleaned and checked and talked to doctors, I presume, and then they transferred me to Mildura in an ambulance, I got up there about nine o'clock at night and they worked on the, the burns which of course by this stage were blistering quite badly and they were cutting those blisters off and they had to remove my wedding ring because that finger was swelling up pretty badly and that took quite a while. They eventually took me around to a ward about 2am and through the time they'd been working on me the, there was a discussion about a, an air ambulance taking a child to Melbourne and maybe they should put me on that air ambulance but then that didn't happen. I'm not 
really sure why, but um, the next morning uh, they cleaned up where they'd been and sent me home. And a couple of days later, a liaison person from the Alfred Hospital Burns Unit rang and said, where are we? And we said, we're at home. And she said, why? And I said, well, where should I be? And she said, well, you're actually booked into Melbourne into the Burns Unit. Why aren't you here? And I said, well, nobody told us, <laughs> which was the unfortunate part. So um, by that stage, I was getting fairly untidy and my eyes were nearly closed and I wasn't in a very good shape at all and my wife was getting a bit nervous about not being a nurse, not being knowing how to look after me. I'd, I'd been to the, the local hospital again and had dressings redone but they also were concerned and they didn't have the right dressings and so on. So Anyway, it was a, a Friday afternoon when this liaison nurse rang from Melbourne and we, we then drove down virtually overnight to Melbourne, Cathy and I, and and yes, then the, the next week or two, I don't even remember exactly now, but um, they dressed and assessed for the first couple of days and then decided to do the skin grafts and peeled a fair patch off my leg and put it on uh, mostly on the backs of my hands. And yeah, the rest is history. As they say, I'm fully recovered and uh, I'll probably have uh, skin troubles around my face where the worst of the burns were in, in uh, years to come, but at the moment I'm, I'm travelling reasonably well. And that is a horrendous story to say the least, and I'm very pleased that you have recovered. Your focus now, though, on making sure this doesn't happen again ever to you or anybody on your farm or really anybody else in primary production. What changes have you made to your system? I understand, first of all, let's talk clothing. What, what changes have you made on your property in, concerning clothing? Well, none, as far as I'm concerned, because I believe the cotton drill, long-sleeve cotton drill shirt and trousers are still the best protection. So I will continue to wear that and I'm encouraging everybody else. Now, I'll go back a step also and say that we didn't at this point, and we still don't have a policy on our farm that employees must wear high vis. We are only concerned about them wearing suitable clothing. However, the young guy who was driving the chaser bin had decided himself to go and buy a high vis shirt. And we said, oh yeah, good. We didn't take any further notice. And what we found out after the fire was that that was made of flammable material. And he got out of the tractor to help me get the hose unwrapped and then I said to get back in the tractor and I'm so glad that I did because had the fire come across and got him it would have burnt him very severely. So we will make sure in the future that people if possible that they wear cotton drill because yes it's considered to be hot but it's also good protection and that's that's what we will all continue to wear. Ian, what about your firefighting unit? You're already ahead of the pack with your firefighting unit, but I understand you're really focused now on just not getting out of the cab to deal with a situation like this in the future. Yes, yep. we had the water, we had the pump, we thought we were as well prepared as we could be, but what we've learnt from this incident has told us that we have to be better prepared. So what I have done is set up a nozzle on the front right-hand side of the tractor and I've made that nozzle so it is adjustable in direction only. I can't find anything to allow me to adjust the stream. The ones on the front of the CFA trucks, which would do exactly what I want, are $19,000 each. And no farmer will ever pay that sort of money to have it sit there and possibly never use in their lifetime. So that's out of the question. 
I have tried and tried the various manufacturers and I can't find anything less than about eight or $10,000 to do the job. So I've got an ordinary firefighting nozzle that everybody can buy out of their local shop. I've set the, the aperture, if you like, the opening to be what I think will be the best to fight a fire. And then I've made it so that it's um, able to be moved up and down and left and right. So that that can be controlled from inside the tractor. And we also have then taken away the Honda operated pump, the petrol motor pump, and we've put a hydraulic pump back there. The situation now is that the operator of the chaser bin tractor can put the hydraulics in gear for that pump and then he has water. And we have a switch to open a motor valve to allow the water to go through to the nozzle out the front. And he then has two switches which will allow him to move that nozzle up and down or left and right. And the theory behind all of this is that the driver's door on a tractor is always on the left. And my thoughts are that if we have the fire on the right hand side of the tractor and something goes wrong, then the, the driver can open the door and run away from the fire on the left hand side. So that's the philosophy. What I found last year was that that didn't work as well as I had hoped. And so I've got to make some modifications and spend a bit more money. And, and I will do that before harvest starts this year. You said spend a bit more money, Ian, and you drew the comparison with the professional units, but what sort of money have you got away with so far to set up this remarkable system on your chaser tractor? Very little. The way that we move the nozzle up and down and left and right is with two linear actuators, and they are relatively cheap. A couple of hundred dollars will buy you the pair of them with the, with the ability to move them. So that's quite cheap, and obviously a firefighting nozzle is, is also quite cheap. The expense is in the pump. The hydraulically operated Hypro pump is the one that I've chosen, and to buy the brand new unit that I want is about $4,000. So that's probably the expensive bit. But having used the prototype of that last year, we pinched one off one of our sprayers. That is definitely the way I need to go. Is It has to be a robust centrifugal pump that can pump high pressure, and be operated by hydraulics so that you've you've just always got it available. Ian, you mentioned that it didn't quite go to plan. I, I assume practice and using and familiarisation are really important with a system like this. Well, that's, that's the other thing that went wrong last year. We had a, a young girl driving our chaser bin for the entire harvest, and the only time she was not in this tractor was that weekend. She had a weekend off. And we had another driver in there unfamiliar and we had not taken the time to ensure that she knew how to operate the firefighting unit. Now worse than that, I jumped into the chaser bin tractor and said I'll do it, but then I didn't know how to operate it myself and I thought I did. So the buttons that I pushed didn't achieve the result that I expected and I was incredibly frustrated that here I was with my U-Butte gadget and I could not make it do what I wanted. So. That's one of the other things that we've come to realise is that everybody that is likely to be in that tractor must do practice work with it, must operate it from time to time and know how to make it work. And you're sharing your story very generously and hoping other farmers take away from this and hope that they never deal with what you have dealt with. Are there any other key messages? What's the key message you would like those listening to this to take away? We thought we had the Rolls-Royce, it turned out we didn't, but that's only one part of it. The other part is that we did not ensure that everybody knew how to operate it. And whatever your firefighting system is, my recommendation so strongly would be that everybody who may end up 
on any part of that firefighting unit has to do regular trial work with it so they know how to make it work. There is no time to think when you have a fire. It has to be an automatic reaction. And that's what I found, that I thought I knew, but when I did the things that I thought would make it work and they didn't, I couldn't think. There is not time to stop and think. You're too busy either trying to make it work the way you are or else getting out of the road. So my very, very strong recommendation would be if you have a firefighting unit, then every person who's likely to be in the paddock must operate it. Don't just be told how to do it. They must operate it and then go and fill the firefighting unit up again. It's the only way that it becomes really non-thinking usable. Ian Hastings, so pleased that you have recovered from that and the progress that you've made to make you and your team even safer into the future. Thank you for taking the time and sharing your story and your insights in this AgVic Talk podcast. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Drew. Look, I'm very concerned to make sure that ours works best and that we all know how to use it safely. But I'm also the sort of person who is happy to share that information and hope others may be able to use some part of it as well to um, protect them and their staff. Thank you for listening to Ag Vic Talk. For more episodes in this series, find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria, authorised by the Victorian Government Melbourne.